0: Eden's going to be doing our reading this morning. Uh, John fourteen six. John fourteen six. Right there. Uh, okay. Jesus said to him, "I am the way, the truth, and the light. No one comes to the Father except through me." This is the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Good job. Awesome. All right. Continuing our series, Words to Live By, looking at 10 verses every Christian should know. And this one morning is super important, and it's, it's a doozy. And it's one we should all know. Uh, the Barna Research Group has said that after doing some research and surveys, um, that Americans uh, revere the Bible, The Americans revere the Bible, have great respect for the Bible, but by and large, don't read the Bible. We respect it. You know, uh, my wife would, t- would tell me that when she grew up, she, w- she wasn't allowed to sit anything on top of her Bible. You know, uh, we, take, we take care of it. We've got the family Bible. We dust it off. We want to make sure we, we care about this book. We revere it. But by and large, Americans don't read it. And because they don't read it, we have a na- we've become a nation of biblical illiteracy. I'll give you some examples. Their research shows less than half of American adults can name all four gospel accounts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 60% cannot name five of the Ten Commandments. 82% of Americans say that God helps those who help themselves is a verse in the Bible. Spoiler alert, it's not. This one's funny. 12% believe that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. 50% believe that Sodom and Gomorrah were married. And many people believe that the Sermon on the Mount was preached by Billy Graham. When biblical illiteracy goes out the window, one of the first things to go is a biblical understanding of the, here's a big word, exclusivity of Christ. When biblical illiteracy goes out the window, so does the exclusivity of Christ. When we lose that, we are in serious trouble. And so we set our attention to John 14, 6 this morning as we make sure that we are a church on sure footing when it comes to understanding the exclusivity of Christ. And we're going to explain what that means. Our verse this morning comes in the context of Jesus telling his disciples that he is going to go away. That he's going to leave them, and that they w- that he's going to prepare a place for them, and that they can come to him later. They can catch up and meet him later. Jesus says this, and the disciples are looking at him like we have no idea what you're talking about. We don't know where you're going. We don't know how to get there, and we don't know when we're. We don't know what you're talking about. Where are you going? How are we going to? We don't get any of it. And so Thomas, the disciple Thomas, speaks up and he says, "Jesus, we don't even know where you're going, much less how to get there. How could we possibly know the way?" What's going on? You see, they thought Jesus was talking about a physical place, a a physical place that he was going to the next city or the next town or something like that. But Jesus was helping them to see that their ultimate path, their ultimate destination wasn't the next city over, wasn't some physical destination. It was to God himself. That the path, the place to meet him was where God was. Jesus is giving his disciples a clear picture of who he really is and that the answers to all their questions are through him. So the first point I want you to know, and we're going to see, is that Jesus is fully God. This is one of the things he's trying to get through to his disciples. Jesus is fully God. Throughout the Gospel of John, the book of John, there are seven what we call I am statements. Seven I am statements. This is one of them. When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he is telling them something very intentionally that if we don't dig deeper into it, we'll miss out on it. When he uses the phrase, I am, that's not just uh, just a, a way of getting to say, I am these things. In the Greek, it is a particular uh, a word phrase, the word ego me." And there are lots of ways to write Ego me. There's lots of ways to write I am, but he writes it in a particular one in the exact way that in the Old Testament, which is written in Hebrew, but there's a Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint. And he writes this I am in the exact way that the Greek translation of the Old Testament writes it, Ego me. And he does that for a particular purpose. Because in the Old Testament, when this phrase, I am, was used, it was in the context of, remember when Moses is, he's, he's murdered somebody and he's run away and he's living off out of Egypt. And God shows up in the burning bush and he tells him, I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And, and Moses is like, I don't know, I don't know. And finally he's like, okay, I can do it. But who do I tell them sent me? Who do I tell the Egyptians sent me to you? And God from the burning bush says, tell them that I am sent you. And he tells them that because you can't put God in a box. He's not just this or that. He is everything that he needs to be. He says, I am that I am, where I shall be what I shall be. Tell them I am sent you. And so when Jesus uses this phrase over seven times, very specifically throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus is telling them it was me in the burning bush. When, when God sent Moses to the Egyptians, it was me who sent Moses. It was me that told him to tell them that my name is I am. I am sent you. Jesus is telling them that he is God. God in the flesh. And this is a foundational truth. And it, it, it's odd because Christians, I think, have taken this reality for granted, this truth for granted. Maybe we failed to teach on it, and we, we thought it was so simple that everybody should know it or whatever. Um, because people have kind of begun to back off of this, or to not understand this, or to just not know it. I can't tell you how many people I've run into who, who say, yeah, you know, when, when, when God created Jesus. I'm like, ah, what? Say that again? Uh, research has done said That 65% of Christians surveyed in America said that they agree with this statement. That Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. 65% of people who claim to be Christians would say that it is true that Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. And just in case we're not clear, that is not true. That is false. This is tragic This is, if you've heard me talk about the theological triage, first, second, third tier issues, this is a first tier issue. This is an ultimate, important issue. This is a necessary for salvation issue. If Jesus wasn't God, he would not have been able to die for our sin because at the cross, God isn't punishing someone else. He's punishing himself. He's absorbing his own punishment, his own wrath. And if he wasn't God, he couldn't have done it. To not believe Jesus is God fully means You can't be saved. So let me be clear. Jesus is God. He is the second person of the Trinity. We often refer to him as the son of God. By son, we do not mean born or created. We mean that his role, his title is son of God. But he is 100% God. Kids, I want you all to say this with me. All right, you ready? I want you to say, Jesus is God. Ready? Ready? Oh, a little bit louder. Say, Jesus is God. Jesus is God. All right, y'all remember that because we're coming back to it, okay? All right, that's number one. Number two, Jesus is the only way to God. Jesus is the only way to God. You know, any you're going on a trip, whether it's uh, you're going really far away out of town or even if you're just going across town somewhere where you don't know and, and you pull up your GPS on your phone and you punch in the address, it is going to give you, you know, three or four different routes. Three or four different ways you can go, hey, we can take the highway all the way there. We can take back roads all the way there. We can kind of take amalgamation, you know, back road halfway, then hop on the highway somewhere. You know, it'll, it's going to give you multiple ways to get there. There's multiple paths. To the same destination. Well, it is becoming increasingly popular in our culture in an effort to be inclusive, to be unoffensive, and to be kind to everyone that people want to believe that all religion is good and that all religions are basically the same thing with their own personal twist on it, that they're all just different routes to the same destination. One's the highway, one's the back road, but they all get you there in the end. They believe that whether you're a Buddhist or a Jew or a Muslim or a Hindu or anything else, as long as you're trying and seeking the divine, that you'll one day find God in some glorious afterlife. A survey done last year of American Christians, they were asked this question, and 46% strongly agreed. That God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christian, Judaism, and Islam. 46%, almost 50% strongly agreed that God accepts the worship of Muslims and Jews and every other religion. Stats like this and others show an increased reality that Christians are being more discipled by the culture than by the Bible. There are some topics and there are some questions that the Bible is not very clear about. Get me and Ron Gervin in a room to talk about Revelation, and that will become quick immediately. We can have a lot of opinions around different things about the Bible. There are things that are unclear and confusing and hard to come to. This question is not one of them. This question is not unclear or foggy. The answer to this is quite perfectly crystal clear. There is one way to know God. One acceptable way to worship God, one way to be saved, one way to go to heaven, and that is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. There is only Darcy read it earlier, there is only one name under heaven by which men can be saved, and that is through the name of Jesus. Allah does not exist. Muhammad is not a prophet. He is dead rotting in a grave. Gandhi is not a prophet, he is dead, rotting in a grave. Thousands of God of Hinduism do not exist. They they believe that they will be reincarnated one day, but they instead will die and meet a fate that they are not ready for. Some people say it is arrogance for us to claim such a thing. It is arrogance on our part to claim that Jesus is the only way to know God. He's the only way to worship God. It's arrogant and uninclusive. Some say it's prideful, it's egotistical, it's narcissistic to claim that we alone have the path of God, that we alone know the answers. Well, first of all, it's not our claim; it's God's claim. But I want you to—I want you to think about this with me. There was a lady who had been saving up; their family had been saving up money to go to Disney World. And they had saved and saved and saved and finally they had enough money and they were at the airport ready to go fly to Orlando uh, to go to Disney World. And she's there at the counter uh, uh, to get her boarding passes. And She says, okay, what gate do we need to go to uh, to get to Orlando? We're going to Disney World as a family for the first time. Uh, And the lady says, oh, you can go to any of them. They'll all get you there. She says, oh, really? We we can just go get on any plane, any gate. They all go to Orlando? She says, yeah, just get on any of them. They'll all take you there. She says, great. Great, we'll we'll go get on any gate. And they start walking. And imagine you are sitting there watching this conversation happen. And you are looking up at the screen. You've got the book of where all the flights go. And you know the answer. You know that this lady's been lied to or deceived or the person working has no idea what they're talking about. And you know that it is only gate B14 that gets her to Disney World. What do you do? Do you let them waste their time and money to get on an airplane that's going to take them who knows where? Or do you get up and you say, ma'am, excuse me, you need to go to gate B-14 because that's the only way you're going to get to where you want to go. And is that arrogance? Is that prideful? Is that egotistical? Or is that the most loving, kind thing we could possibly do? To say, hey, I think you've been misled. All of these all of these routes, all of these paths, don't lead to God. There's only one, and if you want to know him, here's the way. That is the most loving, kind thing we could do is to point people to Jesus and say He's the only way. He's the only way. We have the book. We have this book and we've heard from God himself. This isn't our opinion. It's, what, it's not a fringe interpretation. It's not like extremism interpretation. It is crystal clear and very plain. There is only one route to God, to know God, one path to salvation to heaven, and the path is through Jesus. And every other way leads to a false God and leads straight to hell. That is not arrogant. It's not my claim. It's God's claim, and it is the most loving thing we could do to say that. So let me make a quick other point that I think is helpful. There are two ways that we learn about God. Two ways that we learn about God, to, uh, how we get to this conclusion. Number one, we can learn about God through general revelation, through what, what, what theologians call general revelation. This is what we learn about God through nature, right? God, we can, we can look at a beautiful sunset, we can look at the Grand Canyon, we can uh, look at the ocean, we can look at whatever, and we can go, man. There is a designer. There is a creator. We can learn things about God from observing the world around us. We can learn that God is creator. We can learn that God values beauty. We can learn that God has order. We can learn that God is logical. We can learn all that through just observing the natural world. But that's all we can learn. That's about all we can learn. We cannot learn anything about salvation. We cannot learn through through observing nature. uh, You can look at a beautiful sunset and think, man, God did that. And he created that. He designed that. But that's not enough information to save you. And it never can be. For that knowledge, we need what we call special revelation. And special revelation is what we can only learn about God through his word. What we can only learn about God through his word. We find the answers to the character of God, the nature of God, the justice of God, the mercy of God. We learn of the gospel, the cross, the resurrection, and what is required of us to be saved. And we can only learn that through this book. Sunsets do not teach you that. I make this point to say that belief in a creator is good, but it will not save you. Even the demons believe, the Bible says. And not only do they believe, but they shudder at the name of God. They're like the hyenas in Lion King when they say Mephasis. Say it again. <laughs> the demons do that. Like, they know Mephasis is real and that he's scary, but they're still against him. The demons know that God is real and that he's scary, but they're still against him. Knowledge enough isn't what it takes. Salvation requires mental assent, mental understanding of Jesus and what he's done, but it also requires allegiance. That he is big, he is powerful, he is God, he is creator, he has made a way for salvation, but also he's my king, he's my Lord, and my allegiance is to him. Salvation requires both. And you only get the information you need to know this through God's self-revealed word in the Bible. The way to know God isn't through being a good person. It isn't through other religions. It isn't through even religious activity. Jesus is the way, the text says. He is the way because his sacrifice, his blood, his death make the only path possible to be made right with God. So here's the big takeaway. Kids, here's what I want you to say. Kids, you ready? Jesus is the only way to heaven, right? Y'all say it. Ready? One more time. Ready? Jesus. All right, now we got a review, and we said, "Jesus is God," God." and Jesus is the only way to heaven. heaven. Good job. All right, number three. I was reading an article um, from about twenty years ago. I talked about truth. Here's the thing I want you to take away: Jesus is the absolute truth. Jesus is the absolute truth. This article I was reading, uh, the author was talking about how we as Christians have the true truth, have the true truth. And then he had to go and explain what he meant by having the true truth because today truth has become synonymous with opinion, with alternate facts. We have my truth and your truth and a truth. We have all of these things, but what we're actually talking about as Christians is the truth, the absolute, unadulterated truth. The one thing our culture hates is when someone stands up and says, you're wrong. Our culture hates that, that you're wrong. That's false. Your way is the wrong way. Your facts are wrong. Your thinking is wrong. And this over here is the actual truth. It's reality. Our modern sensibilities hate that because we want our truth. And it's not just everybody out there that does that. We do that. We want our truth. But Jesus comes not bringing A truth, or your truth, or my truth. He comes bringing the truth, actual reality. He comes and he points out how things really are. He comes pointing out how we really are, who he really is, how the world truly is. He comes and he opens our eyes. You see, we were all blind, but our eyes have been enlightened to see reality, to know the truth. The Bible uses that language of the eyes of our heart being enlightened. When you come to know Jesus, you have seen the truth and your eyes are open for the first time. So when we come to know Jesus, we see the world with new eyes for the first time. We see we have new values, new priorities, new sensibilities. Everything about us changes because for the first time we actually see the truth. We see ourselves. We see God. We see the world all reordered by someone who's been blind their whole life and who now actually sees we see Jesus' truth recorded in, a particular, in particular in the Bible. The Bible is God's word, and it is Jesus' words, and it is the truth. Listen to this. It is, that is such a true statement that to disbelieve or disobey the Bible is to disbelieve or disobey God. This is God's word. And to disbelieve or disobey the Bible is to disbelieve or disobey God because this is his exact word to us. It is true and it should be obeyed and believed and followed. Because we've come up out of darkness, we've come out of blindness and ignorance, and been enlightened by the light of the truth of Christ. So, kids, here's our truth to take away. You ready? I want you to go louder this time. All of Jesus' words are true. Ready? All of Jesus' words are true. That's good. I don't know why all the kids are on this side of the room. All right, Dominic, you ready? All Jesus' words are true. Good job. Jesus is God. Jesus is, God. Jesus, is Jesus is the only way to heaven. And all Jesus' words are true. Good job. Fourth and finally, Jesus is the abundant life. Why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus come to earth? You'd say, well, to save us. Right? Yes, that's true. To forgive us of our sin, yes. To bring us into his family, to take us to heaven, yes, all those things are true. He came to forgive us and to save us. But Jesus saving us and forgiving us of our sin is the means, not the end. It is the how, not the destination. It is the work he had to do, but it's not the purpose, the ultimate purpose for which he came. Remember, Jesus answered the question of why he came. He says, I have come to bring life. And to bring it in abundance. Jesus came to bring the good life. Which is a fascinating realization when you see that Christianity is so often viewed as a fun killer. When people think of Christianity, they think, man, if you're a Christian in college, you have no fun. Because you don't get to go to any of the parties. You don't get to get hammered. You don't get to do any of the fun college things. Because Jesus isn't going to let you have fun. And now as an adult, you say, oh, Jesus isn't fun. He doesn't let you sleep around or get into whatever the world says is fun. But that's wrong. Jesus isn't keeping you from fun. He is keeping you from the false promise of fulfillment from the things that will never deliver. And he is actually trying to keep us from avoiding jumping off the cliff and trying to lead us toward the abundant life. You see, the laws of God are not meant uh, to to make us just more devout. They're not meant to make you sullen and serious and and, and downtrodden. They're not meant to keep you frowning. No, the laws of God are meant to keep you away from that which promises fulfillment, promises fun, promises to be good and satisfying and rich, but actually leaves you empty. Empty. And starving for more. It leaves you empty, and yet you want more. You want more because you think if you get more, it'll satisfy. But the more you fill yourself up with that garbage, the more empty you are. God is like a loving parent who won't let their kid eat a Tide Pod because it's a cool new TikTok thing to do. God's like, no, that's stupid. Don't do that. God is protecting us from stupid. We think, no, all my friends are doing it. I'll just eat One. He is protecting us. It's the most recent TikTok thing. I'm not on TikTok, so I, I get these late. But I think the most recent one was people were jumping off the back of a boat going like 50 miles an hour, literally breaking their necks and dying. But this just fun. i go going and jump off a boat. Yeah. God's like, no, it's not fun. It's stupid. It looks fun. It's not fun. He's saying it's promising to satisfy you and fill you up, but it leaves you actually just empty and wanting more. But instead, God is trying to bring the abundant life. Jesus wants to bring you true life. we want it to be like after you eat your favorite meal and you, you know, it's like Thanksgiving and you have just gorged yourself. And you go sit in the recliner and lay back and go, oh. Right? Y'all know that feeling of just satisfied? Like that's the feeling of just smiling contently in a chair that God is trying to bring. God created, listen to this, God created the world and so he knows how it works. Right? Like, he made every detail of the world, and so he knows how it works and operates, and he knows it better than you. And so when he says, no, this isn't going to work out well for you, he knows because he designed it that way. Right? And so his laws aren't meant to just keep you from having fun. It's meant to say, hey, no, there's a cliff here, so I'm going to put a fence there so you don't go off of it. That's the law of God. This is why the scriptures say, come taste and see that the Lord is good. You've been tasting all of these other things. Tide Pods you'll realize don't taste very good. But come and taste Jesus and see that he is good. Last week, I I think it was last week or two weeks ago, I got to go for the first time to Carlo and Johnny's with some friends from church. And it's going to take about a month of not eating out to catch back up on my bank account after going. Uh, But we got to go first time and, and I got a cowboy rib with a big old bone in it. You know, big steak. Somehow on the outside it was like crispy. You know, it's just like steaming hot and somehow melty on the inside. Like it was just amazing, right? Uh, It's so good. But you know what that did? I can't cook steak at home anymore. (laughs) Because it tastes like an overcooked burnt hamburger. It ruined me for anything less. And I can't go to Carlos and Johnny's every week. It ruined me for anything less. And once you come and taste Jesus... Once you know and see and taste that he is good and that his, the life he is offering is actually richer and better, it will ruin you for anything less than him. And then when you realize that Jesus in this life now has only given us the appetizer, that the good life he's given us now is like the bread that comes before the meal, which is awesome. Like you go to Old Charlie's to get those warm rolls. You don't know what I'm talking about? Like the bread's awesome, it's good. But the meal's coming. A resurrected life's coming. And so we have a foretaste of the life Jesus offers now, and it's amazing, but it's just scratched the surface of the life He's bringing us into. Once you know Jesus, you'll know the good life. So, kids, Jesus brings the good life. Go. Jesus brings the good life. 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 All right, review. Ready? Jesus is God. Jesus is the, the only way to heaven. All of Jesus' words are true. All and Jesus brings, Jesus brings the good life. Amen. There are some of you in this room right now, and you've realized for the first time that Jesus is the only way to God. It's not through yourself, your own works, through religion, or through spiritual things, but through the blood of Jesus alone. The way is open to you this morning, and you can come believe. Some of you have realized some truth for the first time this morning. Maybe you have been lying to yourself, and your eyes have been opened to see clearly for the first time. Maybe you need to believe in him for the first time. Maybe there's some sin you need to repent of, some forgiveness to offer, but you need to walk in the obedience put in front of you by the truth. And some of you this morning have been trying so hard to find life. And you have been trying to find life in a dead world. And you've been trying everything to fill your life with, bigger house, bigger car, more stuff, prettier this, prettier that. And it's just sucked the life out of you. It's a false promise that's not delivered you. And it's time for you to run to Jesus and find the good life in Jesus that he's calling to you. A life that is hard and a life full of obedience to Jesus as king and a life that you'll get made fun of, but a life that will leave you full and satisfied. We're going to sing a last song. And if you want to pray about anything or talk about Jesus, I'm going to stand right there. You come up here and talk to me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and kindness and love toward us. You are a good God. Jesus, you are fully God, and you are the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through you. No one gets around that. We must come through you. So, Father, for those in this room this morning who don't know you, God, let them see that the path is open. All they got to do is take the first step. And they can meet you and know you and be brought into your family. Father, help us to be a people who stand on the exclusivity of Christ, meaning Jesus is the exclusive way to the Father, the only way to God. Help us to be a church that never wavers on this truth in the midst of a culture that wants to get rid of it. Help us to stand truth uh, on the truth that's been true in the Bible, in your word for 2,000 years and will stay true forever, unwavering. God, we love you. We thank you. You are good. We pray these things in Jesus' name. All those people said, let's stand together.